0: Now, this morning, we're going to, to talk about membership. And you know, several weeks ago, we took on the, looked at the issue of baptism. And, and we saw the pattern there of a New Testament believer's baptism is that somebody believes and then they are baptized. Well, today, we're going to kind of dovetail with that because we want to look at the issue of what happens when they're baptized. In the New Testament, there's also a pattern after baptism. That is that after a person is baptized, they're added to the church, right? Ours is a day where we've seen major, um, you know, pushes of evangelism and get people saved and, and some people really do, are saved during those things. But, you know, of the thousands saved, there aren't thousands added to the church. Why is that? That's a problem, right? It, it, it goes against what the scriptures um, indicate that when this person is saved, they're added to the church. The uh, the New Testament pattern is salvation, baptism, membership, and then you move move from there. And, and really we see that uh, in Acts 2, verses 41 and 42. I'll just read that to you, Acts 2, verses 41 and 42. So then those who had received his word, this is after Peter's preaching on the day of Pentecost. So then those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Yeah, so it's it's clear, when somebody believed in Jesus Christ, they were baptized, they were added to the church, right, in that order. So, um, sadly, many churches and Christians today don't value membership at all. And, and some of it's because they've never been taught on it, never looked at it. Some of it is in the fact that some churches just They don't even have membership. They just totally think that it's so unimportant that they don't even have any kind of official membership. But I I want to help us to see that the church membership is sensible. It's biblical and it's needed. So the church functions as it functions so that shepherds can do their role and that the church can do their role. Like do these, fulfill these responsibilities that God has given us as a church. I'm to give you a little analogy. And um, when I was growing up, I used to play basketball. So I prefer a basketball uh, analogy. Um, there were times in college, studying engineering, I just needed a break. I needed to get away from the math, get away from, clear my head, and I would go to the gym. And whoever was there, might would just play basketball? They'll pick up basketball. Whoever's there. And sometimes we would gel well together in a few minutes. The guys were there, and sometimes we wouldn't. But typically, every man was, you know, for themselves. If they could take a basket, they took the basket. They didn't. It wasn't like they were working hard. to, like share, and you didn't learn plays. You just kind of like, you know, played off the hip, so to speak. So, so that's one team. This is that's, that's just a pickup team. You know, it could you could have some really good talent on the team, but it's your pickup team. But compare that to an organized team. You know, on a pickup team. Um, you know, the guys just show up, whoever wants to be there, and it's not always the same guys. When you have an organized team, you've had a recruiter to recruit the players. You have a coach who selects the players, who teaches the players, who organizes the players, who recognizes where they're good and where they're not, where they're stronger, who can organize plays and help teach them plays and help them practice the plays until they get it right the The members the team members, although this is in a rare commodity I think in today's sports, but it's team sports are designed to be the team right the old adage there's no I in them so that's not true with today's sports actually um it's i sports uh, or i team or something like that but the 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 point is that I'm making is that true team sports you become a team you know you you work together so compare those two teams which one's going to be the better team Right, equal talent. Let's just say equal skills. Which one's going to be better? The one that's organized, the one where the guys know they're on the team or the ladies know they're on the team, right? And they know their role, and they know the other players, and they practiced and they work together. Ask another question. Not only just what's better. Which one would you prefer to go see? Right? Isn't it really like sweet when a when you see a team basketball or whatever sport like they're really they're really working well together? They're functioning well. They understand where the other person is going to be at. They can do that no look pass because they know the other person's going to be there. Right? That's just fun to watch and see that. So, um, you know, that's the these things are are a, it's a, it's an imperfect analogy, but it helps us understand. The, I think the gist of of what scriptures teach about membership. I mean, you can can you imagine um, the Cleveland Browns? uh showing up you're you're there to watch their practice, and you notice that they're just they are not playing very well right? It doesn't seem like anybody really some want to be there you know some are thinking about next season because they want to figure out how they can get on another team right? they don't really want to be there they don't even believe in their own team, so that's that's kind of how some people approach church membership you know they're they're looking for a better team yeah, and They're not sure if they really want to be there or not. Now, now I want to make it very clear. We have people here who haven't been here very long. Right? So this isn't a pressure for you to hurry up and become a member. Right? So I'm just trying to, to, to teach what the Bible teaches about membership. Right? So there's, there's perfectly, um, so we'll talk about later. Take time you need to get to know a church. So we're not talking about that. But we're talking about the fact that our culture, many times churches, just downplay membership altogether, right? Just, just, that's just a general pattern. And so that's, that's really what we want to kind of push against, uh, today. If you're a Christian, you need to be committed to your local church. If that's Medina Bible Church, then committed here. If that's another church, be committed there. But you are to be committed to your local church, right? in order for you to function how God uh, wants you to function, in order for your church to function how God intends your church to function. So that's, that's, the, that's the main point, is I want you to see that, that you need to commit yourself to a local church right? so you can fill the responsibilities God has given you. Now, what's the foundation of church membership? Well, we don't even really want to talk about church membership until we until we talk about salvation the foundation of church membership ultimately is is salvation when when Christ saves somebody when God saves somebody he brings them into the larger body of Christ that is that is the church universal or we call it the church invisible that's the that's the church everywhere and every time right so we we know that in part from many passages but one I'll read to is 1 Corinthians 12 verse 13 for by one Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. So Christ builds his church, and he's the one that brings people through the power of the Spirit into the body. right? One body. There's not multiple bodies. There's one body. So that's talking about the church universal. So, in other words, first, you must be saved. Right, and there's some that maybe you're here that 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 are not saved. Right? so don't even think about church membership. Think about your soul. Think about where you're going to spend eternity, and you don't know the extent of your life and how long God will grant you life. We we want the we would desire that God would grant you a, a very long life and a very productive life, but we don't know that. And God does not want you to die in your sins. The scripture says that He desires all to repent and be saved. So if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you shall be saved. You're believing that He that that you're a a sinner who needs redemption. You're believing that Jesus Christ is the Redeemer who died for your sins and who rose again in newness of life to show He's He's fully paid those sins. So if 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 you believe in Jesus Christ, you shall be saved. So if you're a believer Then you need to be baptized and then become a member. But the the foundation for church membership is salvation. So many people think about church membership as just, in a physical sense, getting your name on a roll. I can tell you, your name on a roll here on earth does nothing if your name is not on the roll in heaven. And if your name is on the roll in heaven, then it should be on a roll in in some uh, church. Now I say roll... I'm not saying that necessarily every church has to have a physical role. The New Testament churches may not have had a physical list, but they had a role, as I'll show you in a minute. Even if it was only in their heads. The other thing I need to to, to clarify is that we talk about joining a church, or we're ta- talking about we're not talking about a building, and we're not talking about necessarily the the um, uh, the the earthly organization of that. It. It's it's the gathering of the people. Right? It's being committed to those people. And that really brings us to kind of the next thing I wanted to to clarify, and that is what is the definition of church membership. So when we talk about church membership, ultimately we're just talking about a commitment, a formal commitment that you make to your church that you are going to fulfill the Lord's calling upon your life within the bounds of that local church until God should move you on elsewhere. And we, we see that lots of time in the, in the Bible. Where God moves believers from city to city and from church to church, nothing wrong with that. Sometimes people use the analogy of marriage with church membership, but I think that fails because typically you're going to marry for life, and I know that there's difficulties in this life, and that doesn't always happen and and sometimes a spouse dies, and you know so I, I think the the whole marriage thing isn't necessarily a good analogy, but it's the idea of putting putting your hands to work in the place God has you another pastor put it this way grow where you're planted and if god chooses to transplant you somewhere else then we'll send you with our blessing right but but grow where you are planted it's that it's that commitment um so it, it's a commitment to to fulfilling the purposes of of the church which is receiving instruction serving and edifying participating in the ordinances and proclaiming the gospel to the lost and there's also a commitment to submit yourself to the leadership of that particular church. Um, now, what I can talk about, again, with, with the whole issue of, of membership, far too long people have not realized the importance of this. Um, you know, there's not a, um, a chapter and verse that you can go to and, and get a uh, theology of, of membership. And in a large part, that's because their culture didn't require that. And in God's sovereignty, he he provided us, I think, some helpful uh, helpful doctrine that we'll look at in a moment. But there's not like a chapter and verse you go to and say, "Thus said the Lord." You must, you know, go through the formal membership process of your church. Well, there's not that, right? But keep in mind that culture didn't need that. There was not a church on every corner, uh, proverbially. There wasn't, you know, if you were uh, saved in a particular village or a particular city. You went to the closest church. That was your church and you belonged to that church. And it was very clear because of the darkness of the culture that that you were a Christian and you belonged to that church. Right? There wasn't there was no like there's there weren't Christians who were saved but just kind of wandering off on their own and not part of a church somewhere. So I really want us to see the importance of a local church. And I know the local church, and I'm speaking generically. Um, has um, a lot of words. It's it's failed you. It's hurt you. People have hurt you. Um, they've disappointed you. In lots of times, leaders have disappointed you. They haven't been biblical leaders, or maybe they start out that way, but they didn't finish that way. And so there's lots of different reasons that people have kind of written off the church and written off church membership. I, I understand that, but I want to don't you see from scripture that all of those things are obstacles we have to work through? but they're not reasons to prevent participation and commitment to a local church. Uh, One of the weaknesses of Christianity in the United States is really the myopic focus on the individual. Everything becomes about about me, and and we see that it's in our culture, and we must recognize that these things press in upon us, even as a church. That culture, that kind of thinking where you're at the center of your universe, that's pressing in on our church. And unless we're, unless we're strategically reading the Word of God and pressing back, that is going to like filtrate into the church. And so we have to be on guard, guard against that. You know, our American cultural Christianity encourages us really to, to think that they can be, a Christian can be mature, can be spiritually vibrant, can be productive for the kingdom of God apart from a local church. Right? And that, that's just not true. You can, perhaps point to some exceptions and I will just say well they're an exception it's not the rule not the norm as we'll see from scripture and and some of the passages that we could kind of think about to use in, in making decision or making bold statements like that is like Proverbs eighteen one says this he who separates himself seeks his own desire he quarrels against all sound wisdom you hear that he who separates himself, seeks his own desire. So, if you think as a Christian you can kind of ignore the church, just kind of, you know, not have any commitment to it, maybe attend once in a while just so your friends don't don't accuse you of abandoning the church altogether, but but you're just you're just kind of floating and and you're just kind of out there living on your own. If you think you can do that, you, you're you're deceived. You are pursuing your own agenda, and and Satan has deceived you because the scriptures tell us otherwise. Now think about Hebrews ten twenty four and 25. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembly together, as is a habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So it's a command for us to to meet together, not forsake, right? So at some point, when somebody doesn't come, they have forsaken the assembly. You know, you know we're not just talking about, um, you know, showing up every once in a while. If 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 all if your goal is just to be seen every once in a while, you're approaching membership um, and commitment to a church in all the wrong way. You're not really committed. So we are to be committed to one another, not forsaking our own assembly. That is committed to it. Uh, John fifteen twelve says this. Jesus said, "This is my commandment that you love one another, just as I have loved you." Now think about that. Love each other as I have loved you. Now of course. He's speaking to the church, so you can apply that in a generic sense, and someone can say, well, I I love other Christians. But the reality is, you can't love everybody. You love the people in immediate contact with you. You're called to worship, and, and you're called to love the people that are in your church. They may not be the most lovely. They may not be the most easy to love, but those are the ones you're called to love. And Jesus says to love them as I have loved you. How did Jesus love? Now think about the 12 disciples because he spent the most time with them. Right? There were times where he departed from them, but he he trained them. And right? he trained them over a protracted period of time. There's times where he went away to pray, but he never left them ultimately. So, uh, how how good of a um uh, how good of a love do you think or how deep of a love or how loved do you think the disciples would be if Jesus would have said, you know, I might be back next Sunday, but I might not. Or I might be back on Wednesday, but I might not. Right, and he just kept them guessing. Right, and I know strategically Jesus did keep his disciples guessing sometimes. So don't press that too far. But but the point is he didn't abandon them. Right, he was with them, and they they knew that. And and even when he's going to heaven, he said, "I will never leave you. I will never forsake you." Right? So he knew that that was a, a firm commitment. So that, so our, the love that we're called to love each other with is is a profound love and a deep love. First uh, John two tells us that. The one who loves his brother abides in the light, but the one who hates his brother is in the darkness. And in our world, those are strong terms because that's how John paints. John paints kind of in black and white. He doesn't paint in shades of gray in, in the letter of First John. But understand that. Someone can reason in their mind and say, well, I don't, I don't really hate anybody. I just don't really like them. Right? I don't want to, you know, go into the church, they're a bunch of hypocrites. Well, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, we are we you know we're we're spotless in Christ and righteousness and standing but all of us sin at some point in our you know weekly if not daily lives okay so in a sense they're right but they're just using that as an excuse not to meet with the church that's what it is it's just an excuse but but understand beloved God sees through the the change of language to dislike um Dislike is just a, say, a lightened form of hatred. It's in the spectrum of hatred. So you can't just dislike the church and it'd be okay with God. Right? That that's not pleasing to God. I uh, just want to say very clearly: it is impossible to have a spiritually vibrant life, to be walking with the Lord, to be walking in the Spirit, and be separated from a local church. Right now, when I say that, there are exceptions. You get hauled off to jail for preaching righteousness. You can't be with the church, right? So, But the church is with you praying. So there's there's that's a whole different different scenario than that. Um, listen to Wayne Mack and Dave Swainley. They wrote um, a, a book on church membership, Life in the Father's House. They said this, The church is the primary means through which God accomplishes his plan in the world. It is his ordained instrument for calling the lost to himself and the context in which he sanctifies those who are born into his family. There God expects, and even demands, a commitment to the church from everyone who claims to know him. It's the primary instrument. That's what God is using. Yes, we're imperfect. Every local church is imperfect. I jokingly say, if you ever find a perfect church, don't join it, because you will ruin it. And so would I. Right? There's no perfect churches out there. But it is the primary instrument of, of the kingdom of God going forth. And it's the primary instrument of your sanctification. So you can grow just studying your Bible, but you won't grow in depth and knowledge and, and push beyond the comfortable zones without the local church. And I'll show in a minute, you're going to be disobedient to the word of God in many areas if you're not committed to a local church. So, So, local church membership is important. So, now we want to look at is it biblical? Is, is, is biblical, is biblical, sorry, biblical, is, is church membership biblical? I'm having a hard time getting that out. Um, some Christians today wonder, since there isn't a chapter and verse you can turn to, is it really biblical to have a church membership? Is it just something that, you know, more modern churches have invented? Or is it something that God ordains now it is without question that the, that the elders of the church um, of the churches that we encounter in the New Testament knew who was part of the church. they knew who their members were they, they knew who was a Christian and who wasn't a Christian. That is a big city they wouldn't know all the un, all the unbelievers, but but many of these these cities weren't that large that that we uh, have letters written to in the Bible. They would know the Christians. They would know those who were part of the church in that city. So the membership process that we have, or other churches have, yes, that's a that's a modern invention, right? Uh, to to help us, but but don't miss the point that the churches in the New Testament had membership, even if it wasn't written down. They had membership. They knew who was in the church, and also who was out. So we'll see. So we believe that, that church membership. Uh, not, not the process, but the church membership itself, that commitment to the church, is ordained by God. And, and I want to offer some, some support for that. First of all, we have the example of the early church. There's the example of the other church. Now, I want to caution here that looking at like the book of Acts and seeing what the early church did, it, it's, it's good, but we need to be careful about adopting everything that the local church did. So there's lots in the Bible that's just, that's given there as a, it, it's historical. It's not prescriptive to us. So just because the early church did something doesn't mean that we should necessarily run out and go do that today. But having said that, if our premise is right, that church membership is biblical, then we ought to find evidence for that in the New Testament, and and we do. First of all, we want to note that the early church at times had to support widows, but it could only support certain widows, qualified widows in, in Paul's letter to Timothy, first Timothy chapter five, he left Timothy instructions about supporting those widows who met certain criteria. And I'll just read that to you, first Timothy five being a verse nine, A widow is to be put on the list only if she is not less than sixty years old, having been brought, having been the wife of one man, having a reputation for good works. And if she has brought up children, if she has shown hospitality to strangers, if she has washed the saints feet, if she has assisted those in distress and if she has devoted herself to every good work. Notice all the various categories there. So it implies that the church had to know its members in order to be able to make a decision. Do we support this widow or do we not support this widow? And and so they would have to, to know their widows. So they would have to know. Who's in the church and who's out? Obviously, someone gets saved; they're not going to know them as well until time goes by. But here, you're implying that there's a there's a widow. This is some time when the church is being built. There's there's time for people to have been saved and and established a reputation for for good works. Right? Those are the widows to be supported, and, and it's it's all likely that these widows were to be supported that they might do ministry. They would not be worried about what, what they're going to take care of. Uh, the, the food or, or anything like that, but the church would take care of them and free them up to help them do the work of the ministry that, that, that they could do. So that that's implied, but what's not implied, what's stated clearly, is that there was a criteria that the church was to use, and it's to evaluate those widows to know them well enough to know who to support. So they knew their, um, their members. Another way we see that they know that they knew their members is that indiv- certain individuals are associated with certain churches? So, for example, in Romans sixteen one, we read this where Paul says, "I commend to you, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of, of the church at Centria, a servant of the church of Centria." Okay? So, she was associated with with serving. She was going to do something in in another city. Uh, very, very likely, she'd be headed to Rome. Some, some think she may have even carried the letter to, to Rome, right, from Paul's letter to, to the Romans. But she was associated with the church at Centuria. Um Now, she was a, a servant of the church at large in general, but Paul doesn't say that. Now notice he points specific to a specific church. She was a member of that church. To put it another way, we we see this also in uh, Colossians four twelve. Speaking about Epaphras, in, in, the, in Colossians 4.12, we read this, Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bondslave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers, that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. So that's that. when Paul says, who is one of your number, he's not just saying that Epaphras was from Colossae. That's included in that. What he's saying is that Epaphras... Was part of that church, and in fact, may have been a pastor, one of the elders of that church. There, yeah. a, a third line of evidence. Looking at the example of the New Testament church, is that the whole church is mentioned in specific locations at specific times. There are several passages in Scripture where we see the term "the whole church" is doing something, or or is is gathered in a location, or is doing something. Um, In Acts 5.11, we read this. And great fear came over the whole church and over all who heard of these things. That was when God decided to to judge Ananias and Sapphira for their lie against the Holy Spirit. So God judged them righteously, and the church was made aware of that. But it's the whole church. It's just not the church. It's the whole church. It's specific in Scripture. And, and we see that in other places as well. Now, remember, Luke's, uh, Acts was written by Luke. So, Luke would have had to research that. And, and, you know, how would Luke know that? We don't know for sure that Luke was there when this, when this happened or not. He gathered evidence from eyewitnesses. And the eyewitnesses, yeah, the whole church, right? Meaning, that's just not a, you could take it as a summary statement. But if you interpret it literally, it's, it's the whole church. And the church was, was small enough at the time, they would have known the whole church in Jerusalem. In Acts fifteen twenty two, we read this. It seemed good to the apostles and to the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them to send to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, Judas called Barsabas, and Silas leading men from among the brethren. We see this again in Romans sixteen twenty three: Gaius, host to me and to the whole church, greet you. Erastus, the city treasure, greets you, and Quartus, the brother. Again we reference to the whole church. In first Corinthians four uh sorry fourteen. 1 Corinthians fourteen we read this in verse twenty three. Therefore if the whole church assembles together and all speak in tongues, and ungifted men or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are mad? So the context of talking about tongues, but, but notice there's there's passages. Four that I could find easily that referenced the whole church, how would they know that the whole church was gathered unless they knew who was part of the whole church that that's that's the point so there's a clear pattern, clear example from the from the book of Acts that the early church knew its members knew who who its members were secondly it's church membership is biblical because the responsibility given to elders pastors i use those terms synonymously because scripture does so an elder is a pastor a pastor is an elder or an overseer is another term or a bishop is another term they're all synonymous but but elders have been given the responsibility to shepherd the flock among you now first peter five is very instructive here first peter five being at verse one i'll just read that therefore i exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. So who were the who are the elders supposed to shepherd? But the flock among them. It, it's it's their flock. That the flock doesn't include just just people, maybe Christians, just necessarily passing through. In our culture, it wouldn't include people who come to visit and are trying to just checking out the church and seeing whether they're going to be part of that particular local church, our particular local church. So the elders don't have a a responsibility to shepherd those. They have a responsibility to shepherd the flock among those who are part of that particular flock. So becoming a member of a church helps elders and pastors to know, hey, I'm here. And I would like to be shepherded. I want you to shepherd me, and and God is now going to hold that shepherd accountable for for shepherding you, for for caring for you. You know, when you commit yourself to to a local church, you're helping the elders to to know the flock. Right? Now we talk about shepherds knowing the flock, and I've said before, I want to know you better, and all shepherds should want to know their flock better, and and. What I want to help you understand is that in an average-sized church, uh, uh, the average-sized church today is 70 members. Right. So in an average-sized church, right, the preaching pastor can't know every every soul that's part of that church with the intimacy of a, of a best friend. They just can't. Right. One of the ways in which the pastor-teacher shepherds you is through preaching and teaching. So times like this, although they're not one-to-one, there's still times where you're being shepherded, you're being taught the Word of God, you're being fed the Word of God. And also understand that shepherds, and you get this, I'm going to state the obvious, shepherds are not omniscient and we're not omnipresent. So it's really important that you invite us into your lives. That you connect with us so that we understand a bit more like what you're going through or things that you're struggling with. We're not necessarily going to know uh, the exact things that you're tempted by or the things that we need to pray for. I often invite you to tell me, what can I pray for? What are some specific things that I can pray for? Right? That, that's my request to, to let me into your life. Let me know what's going on into your life. So it's a it's kind of a two way sh- street. If you ever sit back as a as a church member, wherever you're at, this one or somewhere else, and say, Well, my, my shepherd, I don't think he knows me very well. Well, take action. Right? Take action. You initiate. And and realize that that as a preaching teaching pastor, I I can't have lunch with everybody or with every single family, like as as often as I would like to. I would like to do that. Just because of all the things that are going on. And we're going to have other elders that are going to come up and help shepherding that. So we pray for that. But the point I'm making here is that it's a two-way street. So let let me know how to pray for you. Let me know things you're thinking about. Let me know when you have questions about scripture. I, I don't inherently know those. It'd be nice if I did, but I but I don't. And, and God's designed it that way. So it's a two-way. Two, you know, shepherding is a, a two-way uh, street in, in that regard. So church membership is is biblical um, because shepherds need to be able to shepherd you they they have oversight they they need to do that in order for shepherds to know who they're overseeing. there needs to be some form of membership again it doesn't have to be necessarily written, but there has to be some kind of membership because you can't shepherd unsafe souls, so even if you don't have a written membership process, you're still a shepherd still has to kind of keep out as best as he can, those who are not saved. We want want the unsaved to come and hear the gospel, but we don't want them in here pretending like they're saved and causing havoc within the church. So our church membership requires people, the best that we can discern, to be believers. So even without a written process, shepherds need to do that. But church membership is also biblical not just because of what God, the responsibility God gives shepherds, but also because of the responsibilities that God gives you. Did you know you have responsibilities to your shepherds? Not to every person who's an elder, but to your elders. Uh, one of the things that's called for is that we imitate. We imitate them. Hebrews thirteen seven says this. Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and consider, considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith right so that that's that requires you knowing your your elders well enough to be able to imitate their faith to 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 look at them at least in a general sense look at how they live life how they respond to things um how they're uh, uh how they're serving right and learn now re- recognize that there's no one perfect right so it, when you see imperfections in pastors and elders right they're are normal, I'm normal, right? I'm abnormal, but I'm normal in that way, right? So um, understand that that to the extent like like Paul did in First Corinthians eleven one, he says, follow me as I follow Christ. I'm following Christ. So the extent you see your elder or pastor following Christ, I'm, imitate their example. You can't mindlessly like imitate their example because we're just imperfect. We're gonna we're gonna sin. But when we sin, hopefully we'll give you an example of what repentance looks like and change looks like. But but the point here is to, is to say that you have a responsibility to imitate the faith of your elders and your pastors. How can you do that if you don't even belong to a church? If you're not committed to a church, you don't even know who your elders are. Who are you going to imitate? Are you going to imitate John MacArthur? Well, that's, that's, a, that's a good pattern to follow, but he can't shepherd you. He doesn't even really know you. So God also gives you the responsibility not just to imitate their faith, but but also to appreciate them. Listen to 1 Thessalonians 5.12. But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. That's 1 Thessalonians 5.12. So you're you're called to... Appreciate your leaders. To appreciate them means to to know by experience, not not just know theoretically, but know by experience. John MacArthur explains that the connotation here is that believers are to know their shepherds deeply and respectfully, and to value their service. So, in, in the discussion on membership, how can you how can you value your leaders? if You're not part of a local church. You don't even know who your leaders are. You also have a responsibility to esteem your leaders very highly in love. This isn't talking about putting them on a pedestal in, in, a, in a sinful or a cultural sense. To, to esteem your leaders very highly in love. To esteem means to hold in high regard. Uh, Dr. Thomas um, he explains this. Robert Thomas explains, the exhortation is to hold these leaders in esteem beyond all measure in the highest regard and given wholehearted support and this in a spirit of love. And it's not because they're wonderful people. Um, some pastors may be wonderful people, um, but the point is because of the work. So it's, it's sort of like what we used to do in this in the United States. This is gone. But we used to respect the, the president of the United States because he held the office. That's gone. But that's sort of what it's talking about. You, 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 you respect them because of the work that they are doing, because of the position that God has placed them in. Obviously, we're not talking about respecting like leaders who are not qualified leaders who who are living sinfully we're not we're not talking about blind adherence or obedience or anything like that. You can't do this if you're not part of a church, and then take it one step further you You're also called to submit and obey your leaders now, again first, from first thessalonians five twelve leaders have charge over you and give you instruction they can't no one can instruct you in that sense, have charge of you unless they have authority over you. So Hebrews thirteen seventeen says, obey your leaders and submit to them for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Shepherds will be held accountable. You want to know who's going to hold shepherds accountable? It's God. It's not that we don't have earthly accountable. We do have that. We have other, other shepherds, but we are going to be held accountable for shepherding the souls of the church that God entrusts to us. How can you, you, how can you obey shepherds you don't even, you don't know or you're not committed to or you're just floating from one church to another? Which, which, uh, uh the elders are you supposed to submit to and obey to? Because very confusing when there's not a commitment to a local church. And, and note too, we have wonderful, wonderful media ministries today. You know, with all the various apps that can help in regard and podcasts that many of them are, are so helpful. They're such good teachers. I mean, just think about the blessing that you have, right? Without that, you'd just be stuck with me. But because of that, you have much greater benefit. But they can't shepherd you. John MacArthur can't do that. I mean, the, the 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 you know the podcast you listen to, they, they don't shepherd you. They don't they don't know you. They're not going to come to you when you when you need help. They're not going to provide you counsel. It's not that they don't want to. They they can. They have a local church that they're responsible to administering to. So. So media ministries never replace a commitment to a local local church. They supplement and add strength to it, but cannot replace it. And, and so biblical church, I mean, church membership is biblical for, for the fact that, that you need to fulfill certain responsibilities. You can't do that without being a member. Pastors need to fulfill certain responsibilities to you, to their flock. They don't know who their flock is unless you're committing yourself to, the, to that local church. But I also want you to see something else. Church membership is is biblical because the process of church discipline necessitates it. The local church has an obligation to conduct church discipline. And you know how many churches actually do that these days? Very, very few. You might have more churches that actually have membership, you probably do, than actually practice church discipline. It's it's just a rare thing. Is it fun? No. Where do we find it? In Matthew 18. I'll just read there. You can turn to it if you want. Read Matthew 18, verses 15 to 17. If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. That is, put him out of the church if he refuses to listen, right? So I, I see a four-step process of church discipline. And my point this morning isn't to explain that whole process. There's much about church discipline that I think would be beneficial, and I'll we'll cover it in, in coming days as we talk about conflict resolution. We'll, we'll talk about some of that. But but the, what I want you to note about here, to note at this stage, is, is that the third step requires the, the confrontation with sin, to be told to the church. So if a person person isn't part of a church, there's no church to tell. Um, the fourth step is to actually put the person out of the church. How can you put someone out of the church if they're not in the church? You have to be in the church to be put out of the church. Now, someone might be thinking, well, that's a good reason for me not to become a member. Uh, I can get away with my sin. No. If you're if you're in open sin and it becomes revealed, even if you're not a member, right, we're going to work with you to call you to repentance. It might look slightly differently, um, depending on your level of involvement and how well people know you here. But um, know that you want it. If you're a genuine believer, you want this process in place. It's protection because there are times in our lives where we don't see our own we don't see our sin. And we become hardened of heart. If that ever happens to you, do you want someone to come after you? I hope the answer is yes. Even though it's unpleasant. You won't want it at the time. You absolutely won't want it. You'll think they're hating you. But it's what you need. You know, it's like um, the analogy of like when police are responding to a burglary in process and one of the officers gets shot the mission immediately changes, doesn't it? They're, they're concerned about the burglar and they want to catch him, but that's now a second priority. Right? The top priority becomes getting that officer medical aid and getting them safely out. Right? That's sort of a good picture of church discipline. When you fall into sin, everybody around you shouldn't just be like, uh, oh, mission goes on, life is normal, Yeah, you may die spiritually, but but we'll just keep on. No, you want people that are going to come to you. And again, it's not going to be what you want to hear. But it's what needs to happen to, to help you, to restore you. And then if someone gets put out of the church and they later repent of their sins, and and then the church has a responsibility to bring them back in the church as a fully restored member. Not a half member, but a fully restored member. Right? So there's that whole process. Church discipline necessitates that there be church membership. And and then there's one more thing I wanted to highlight. And that is the, the metaphors used uh, in the Bible illustrate it. The, the, the metaphors of the Bible, the, the, the church metaphors illustrate this. So you have the family of God. So th- think about that. Scriptures describe the local church as the family of God. Um, uh, household of, of God, talking about that, from that standpoint. First Timothy three fourteen says, "I am writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long. But in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth." You know Romans eight fifteen, the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. So again, that 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 family aspect, their description is used there. In First in John four twenty one, we talk. Jesus says, "In this commandment we have from Him," or John writes, "And this commandment we have from Him that the one who loves God should love His brother also." That's why we refer to each other as as often as like brother or sister in, in Christ. We're not physically related, but but we are spiritually related, part of the family of God. And yes, you take this to the extent that you could go to you go to Russia and meet another Christian, your brother or sister with them. But but it's the local family. Where the you know the rubber meets the road and and that analogy, that metaphor is very important. there's another metaphor, body of Christ, right where each member is is one in Christ, one body, obviously we're speaking about the greater church, but we're also talking about local church where one body, but we're many members, different gifts, but one body there is a diversity and as well a unity together Now that's what the scriptures talk about. So um, there's also the analogy of the building of God, right? Where God talks about us as a, as a building, and he's building this up. In Ephesians two nineteen and 21, I'll just read that. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. In whom you also are being built together in into a dwelling of God in the spirit, now again, there's the local church i mean the 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 universal church, right you're made part of that part of that building when you believe in Christ, but on a local level, there's always a, a local manifestation of that Can you imagine uh, God be building a house, building a, a his church in a local setting, which is what he does, and he and he he takes he saves you. You're a brick. You're pictured as a brick and here. That's not a, that's not a, um, it's not a slam. I'm a brick too in that analogy. Okay. Can you imagine God taking a brick and just kind of setting it aside and saying, you know, I'll just, I'll kind of leave that brick over there and just sit there. It doesn't ever get brought into the, the building that God is building. Right? It's kind of a silly analogy, right? But that's, that's sort of how we think, how people think when they think that they can be. It can be a Christian who's not a part of a local church. So this, again, argues for church membership. And there's yet one more. Right? There's, there's more of these, but I'll I'll just give you one more. There's a whole bunch of commands. In fact, I think 58 of them that are called the one another commands. Right? So be devoted to one another rebuke one another, serve one another, forgive one another, bear one another's burdens, stimulate one another to love and good deeds, confess sin to one another, and pray for one another. Just a few of them. You really can't fulfill those commands if you're not committed to a local church. It really becomes very, very difficult. Yes, we are called to love all Christians. So as you encounter Christians from other churches or other, you travel or they're traveling or whatever, um, you meet people that are no Christians that got other churches in Medina. Yes, there's a sense of which you're called to exercise the one another's to them. But you're not not really going to be held accountable by God for not having loved someone that's not part of your, your interaction in life. God is concerned about how we interact with one another as a local church, you know, the if if we love each other as Christ loves us, that becomes a powerful witnessing tool, and a, a tool of evangelization. That's what Jesus said. They will know you by your love. You have love for one another. That that kind of love. What what you know? People look at us and say, "What what keeps you together?" You're also so different. Have different hobbies, different likes, different dislikes. Well, it's Christ, and it's our love for Christ. That's our love for the our brothers and sisters in Christ. So there's all these, the, the, what I call the practice of the one of their commands, requires the context of a family. right? Some of you have been in families where your parent is like an always negative. You never meet their standards. You always seem to fail. Maybe maybe it's just implied. Sometimes it's stated. Right? They're always telling you what you do wrong. How does that feel? Not very good. It's the same kind of thing within the body of Christ. So as we do ministry together, as we're committed to one another, that's building up. That's the, that's more of the positive aspect that we build into one another's lives. So that when we have to speak into one another's lives, there's there's some some credit in a person's lives that we can draw from, right? But if we don't know each other, if Christians aren't really committed to a local church, you're, you might see a, a believer's sin. I don't know, just say you're out in the community, you see seen a believer, someone you know as a Christian, not part of your church, not someone you see regularly, but you see them sin in some way, and you go to confront them on it, you speak to them about it, that'd be the right thing to do. Hmm? How likely are they going to respond to that? You've got no collateral in their life. None. Should they respond? Of course they should respond. Hmm? Should do what's right. But on a practical level, how much collateral do you have in that person's life to really speak to that sin? Huh. Because you don't interact with them very often. You might not even know them all that well. Right? So the point I'm making is that by doing life together, loving each other, praying for one another, you know, you're, you can receive, um, admonishment and correction easier from someone who you know loves you. They're not attacking you. They're not out to tear you down. They're there to love you. And that's done best in the context of the local church. And, and with that, I'll just say that Matthew 18 can only be practiced within the context of the local church. So like if you have a friend who's a Christian who you know is is being unfaithful to his wife and you confront him on that, he goes to a different church, you confront him on that. If he doesn't listen, the most you can do, take a second witness, hopefully from the other church and get them involved. But if that church doesn't practice church discipline, there's not anything else you can do but pray for. Okay. So you can't you can't personally conduct steps three and four of church discipline kind of on your own. That's to be done within the context of a local church. So the, the one another commands really really demand that that we are in in doing life together. It doesn't mean we don't love others. I'm not saying that. I don't misunderstand. But but the really the essence of the one another commands are are done are lived out in the context of a local church. Now think about it. You know, church membership is committing yourself to a local church. Church membership is is essential, I would say, to your walk with Christ. Church membership is biblical. It's the early church modeled it. The responsibilities of the elders demanded it. The responsibilities that you have towards your elders demands it or necessitates it. Conducting church discipline requires the, the commitment of a local church, knowing who's in and who's out. The church metaphors illustrate it for us. And then one another commands demand it. And we could rally other support for that. But but I think at this point, um, just let that settle in your mind. And settle why, you know, if you're already a member, these things reinforce why you became a member. If you're not a member, you know, think through what things do I need to know about this church? Or what do I need, need to see? Or what do I need to learn? Um, about the church's doctrine, about the church's practice, in order to become a member, you know sometimes people become just because they are used to not being a member or perhaps because they've been burned at a previous church they they delay membership longer than necessary. Right? i think you should take time. I'm not saying rush in the church membership, I don't rush, learn about the church, take your time to learn about the church, right but don't let just don't let time go by we're not doing anything to get to know the church, right? If if you consider the local church where you're going, well, this is Medina Bible Church, if you consider us your church home, right? then become a member. And if you're a Christian, and if if um, you're not divisive, you're going to be accepted as a member. This, this whole thing of a membership, like application that we have and an interview, it can seem intimidating, but talk to people who've been through it. Hopefully they didn't seem it. it was too intimidating as we went through it. Talk to some recent ones that have been through it. But the point is just to get to know you. We're trying to make sure, as best we can, that you're actually saved. And we want to get to know you and hear what the Lord's done in your life. Um, Our doctrinal statement is written so that it's we teach, we teach, we teach every paragraph. So we're not asking you to agree with every line of our doctrine. We would ask and require that you not be divisive if you have a disagreement. But lots of times people... Just haven't studied a lot and our doctrinal statements quite detailed, so you just haven't had time to study it, so you're not really sure so to be a member, you just need to say you just need to understand that when we teach on a particular topic that's how we're, that's what we're going to teach and, and if you can be okay with that, become a member right and if you're not okay with that then then it's really um time to find another church. don't hang out in a church that you can't really be part of right. I, I don't want to see anybody leave, so don't misunderstand me. I'm just saying, if if you're if you're part of a church that where the doctrine is not quite in agreement with you, and you can't um, just just be non divisive about that, then you should look for another church. But we welcome you guys, anyone anyway, that, that would have a slightly different doctrine, or you just haven't studied something, even if you study it and you have a, a drastically different doctrine, as long as it's not re- you know what we call the essential doctrines related to Christ. Right? But if it was some uh like second tier or something, if if you as long as you're not divisive about it, right, there's no reason why you can't be a member here. And so you know, think through what are the things that are impeding becoming a member. Sometimes it's just simply time, right? So understand that you can fill out our application, and and it, we're not asking for every detail of your life, right? We're not asking for a book. Sometimes people give us nearly a book of their life, what God's done. And that's fine if you want to do that, because I would love to get to know you. But that's not required, okay? And so just just move through that process. Part of that process is the class, which we're going to have next week. So on a very kind of a practical basis, if you're not a member and haven't been to that class, some of you have, but if you haven't, come to the class, right? So um, it'll be in two parts, and I think it'll be helpful and give you an opportunity to ask some questions as well. But let me just say this in conclusion. Being a member is important for all the reasons I've said. I haven't really talked, well, I talked about some practical reasons, but, but mostly doctrinal and the things that God has called us to do. But, but know that if you're part of a church, you can count on the love of the family. You can count on the help of a family. You can count on the prayers of the family. But whatever you're going through, we're going to be there with you. And that may become more and more important as we, as our world can, and culture continues to change as it gets darker as the world begins to search out and silence christians right the fact that you're part of a church with solid doctrine means you can fall back on that doctrine and and say well i'm just believing here this is the doctrine i believe and you can point back to it to the church i'm a member there and and we'll be with you through that through that battle right whatever the lord calls you to it. I'm not trying to be obnoxious, but we're going to take a stand for truth, and we're going to stand there. and We're going to stand together. So um, when the when it gets tough, and it seems like it's going to get tougher uh, in these days, we just stand together, and we'll rejoice together, and we'll serve the Lord together, and we'll see the Lord do really, really neat things. So be committed to the local church, whether it's this one or another one. God wants you to be committed. To your local church. Think about this. Let me close with this. Ephesians 4. Just turn your Bibles there so you can see this yourself. Ephesians 4. I'll begin reading at verse 11. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up into all aspects, into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Well, there's a lot in there. Someday I'll teach you that. But here's what I want you to see. Verse 16. The whole body being fitted and held together by what? By what every joint supplies. According to what? The proper working of each individual part. So there's a sense of which your local church is not going to be built up and matured as it needs to be if you're not functioning how God has designed you to function within that church. That should be encouraging, doesn't matter how God has gifted you it doesn't It doesn't matter whether you think well what what can I do right? I want you to know there is something you can do, and maybe it starts with just praying for one another right? we can We can talk through some of that at another time, but just think through. you have a critical part to play in the building up of your local, local church, and if you're not there doing your part, it's not being built up. As God intends, because God, when He saves people, He places them within a local church, even if just for time, He's designed them to to um, to serve and function within that local church for His glory. So, be a member, be committed to your local church. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank you that you are so patient with us, that your love is so deep and wide, Lord, that you are uh, patient and long suffering. And Lord just uh, thank you for using us in these days to be your witnesses. But unite our hearts, unite our hearts as a church in an even greater way than than we are doing. Lord, I thank you for such a loving church, for the way that this church reaches out and cares for one another, and ministers to one another. And I just pray that you would you would just cause that to increase, that, that Medina Bible Church, that every member of Medina Bible Church would would excel still more the love for one another, and the application of the one another commands, for your glory and honor. In the name of Jesus we ask these things. Amen. Thanks for listening to the pulpit ministry of Medina Bible Church in Medina, Ohio. You can find church information, a complete sermon library, and other helpful materials at medinabible.org. This message is copyrighted by Medina Bible Church. All rights reserved.